0: Welcome to The Blind Podmaker. I'm Jonathan Mosen, podcasting since 2004. Happy to be back with you with more information to help you start or grow your podcast, all from a blindness perspective. Today, we have got a follow-up from the previous episode, where we had a look at podcast hosts, and I recommended Pinecast for value for money, features, and accessibility. This is an interview with Matt Baster, the founder of Pinecast, which was first broadcast on Mosin at Large in 2020. Matt Baster joins me from Pinecast. Hi, Matt. Good to have you here on Mosin at Large. Hi, it's great to be here. This is a crowded space, mate. What got you into setting up a podcast host when there are so many other options out there?
1: Yeah, well, first I'll say when I started Pinecast, it wasn't nearly as crowded, probably like 30% of of what it is now. Um, I started back in 2014 the host that uh, my buddy was using for a show that I was uh, co-hosting went out of business and looking around at the options, uh, the limitations and cost of the hosts that were available were just terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I, you know, I'm a a software engineer by trade and I thought, you know, I can do better than this, you know, just for myself. So I put some stuff together and we threw our show up on it and it worked. (laughs) And a few months later, you know, we'd made improvements and I'd gotten feedback from uh, my buddy and I kept adding things. And I said, you know, I throw a sign-up form on this um, and, you know, I can integrate it with Stripe and start accepting payments. And next thing you knew, it turned into a, like a real business. Um, and today I've been going at this for five years now and it's really taken off.
0: <laughs> is it your full time job right now or is it kind of a side gig for you?
1: This is a side gig for me. Yeah, I have a full time job working at Stripe.
0: Right. So I guess that's convenient in terms of getting the (laughs) payment set up and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, interestingly, um, when I started it, uh, I wasn't working at Stripe. I was working at a different company. Um, I changed jobs twice, in fact, during the process of building Pinecast. Uh, When I interviewed at Stripe, it was funny because they uh, were asking all sorts of questions. Oh, have you ever integrated with Stripe? And um, I was able to say like, yes, not only that, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) Pinecast was founded through Stripe's Atlas program, which um, actually registers a business entity, gets you set up with a bank account. And so I've been using Stripe and active with Stripe for forever, um, you know, this whole time. And they were super interested in the experiences that I've had and just the the breadth of knowledge that I already had about uh, Stripe and its different products. And today, I mean, it's great because, um, you know, I can beta test my own features. <laughs> a lot of folks from other teams come to me asking for feedback about things that they're working on or ask if I want to try something. Our Corp Card team just got in touch with me and uh, I've started using Stripe Corp Card. The climate folks have reached out. Um, anytime you uh, make a charge to your card through Pinecast, 1.5% um, of that. Uh, is donated towards uh, carbon removal. Lots of interesting stuff. It's it's a great way for me to be able to sort of dog food what I do day to day, but also uh, bring value to my customers.
0: But you must be a busy guy because uh, not only <laughs> have I worked in podcasting for a long time, I've been doing this since 2004, but also in the past I have uh, been a program director on a radio station or two, and run some voluntary internet radio projects. And the one thing that I have learned, if I've learned anything, it is that you can't get behind a mic and do a thing like a podcast or whatever if you don't have a little bit of an ego. And with that ego comes, uh, I guess, sometimes a bit of difficulty to work with. So the tech support demands on you must be quite immense with a project like this.
1: You know, honestly, it's not as much as you would think. I took a really principled approach with this from the very beginning. My philosophy was I would respond to every single request that comes in. I anticipated a large support burden. And so what I did is every time I got a piece of feedback or a feature request or somebody had a problem, I would note it down or I would like immediately resolve the issue. Um, So bugs would get fixed very quickly. Um, Rough edges in terms of the user experience would get addressed or documented. Um, And effectively, I've, I've treated this as me uh, sort of engineering my way out of the job. (laughs) So, you know, five years of effort going into this, taking all of the things that could go wrong or are going wrong and saying, okay, well, you know, users get this weird error message. Let's address the weird error message or address the cause or give a better explanation or point them towards documentation from the UI itself. So the support burden is actually quite low. I spend probably less than 30 minutes a day handling support.
0: That's interesting. And one of the things that I noticed when I looked at the Reddit, the subreddit that has been set up specifically for Pinecast, which I think is a nice feature, somebody made the observation that really came to my mind, which is when you look at some of these surveys that list the top 10, top 20, top 30 podcast hosts, you don't often see Pinecast there. And I didn't know about Pinecast until I found the podcasters subreddit about seven months ago. Are you deliberately kind of keeping it a little bit of a best-kept secret for people to discover so that it doesn't get unduly out of hand for you?
1: Yes and no. That was definitely a concern early on. Um, I didn't want to push too hard uh, and not be ready, especially within the first year. It was a huge concern of mine that I would, you know, get too many people onto this service and they wouldn't like it or they would find problems and I would just be overwhelmed. Now I don't really have that excuse. (laughs) Part of the reason why Pinecast doesn't appear is – First and foremost, I spend $0 on marketing. I have gone through and spent a few hundred dollars here and there on Google AdWords, Facebook ads. Um, I think I did a Twitter campaign at one point and I've seen effectively zero return on investment um, for all of those ad campaigns. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. I'm not a marketing guy, but the way I see it is if I'm not going to get a return on investment on marketing, Like I'm doing fine without it. (laughs) So that's probably the first big thing. And then the second thing is a lot of the lists or reviews that you see aren't just people writing these out of the goodness of their heart. Um, I probably get two or three messages a month from folks saying, oh, I'm putting together a podcast resource guide. If you'd like Pinecast to be included, fill in this large elaborate spreadsheet or, you know, it'll only be $150 to be included Mm. or $30 a month. And it's like it feels really skeezy to pay money to be listed in a comparison or to be listed favorably.
0: One of the things I've noticed about Pinecast customers is there is a genuine enthusiasm, isn't there? People feel really good about being a customer.
1: Yeah, that's one thing that I've always taken a lot of pride in. Um, You know, I've genuinely tried to make sure that everyone has a good experience. Uh, For probably the first two years, anytime someone would uh, cancel their subscription or write in asking for a feed redirect, I would ask them, you know, why didn't it work out? Uh, What happened? What went wrong? Um, And people would give very honest, candid answers. And Uh, I've done my best to make sure that I address all of those if there was some sort of misunderstanding or a lack of support for some sort of feature or something was missing that it got added. And so I I do try and take a lot of care. And then I also do try to put a lot of effort into making sure that the the little details about the service work well, Um, making sure that you don't get, in many cases, an error message that doesn't make sense, making sure that, you know, when I tell you how many listens you have that it's pluralized correctly. There's so many like really fine, I I hate to use the word details, but um, sort of refinements that go into building a complicated user interface and making sure that it's scalable for every type of customer, the the beginner or uh, an amateur podcaster that has a few thousand listens or somebody that's doing 20,000 listens a week or a million listens a month, making sure that everybody sort of gets what they need through one UI that looks good, works well.
0: You talked about candid questions and answers. So let me ask you this. If you get a life one day and you find, look, I just don't want this day job and this thing on the side as well. Is that the danger of going with a provider like Pinecast, which is essentially one person developing it, or you got run over by a bus tomorrow or whatever? What what happens in a situation like that?
1: Obviously I, I don't want to get run over by a
0: bus. No, I don't want you um, to get run over by a bus sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. So as far as me leaving, I've always planned for this. You know, I have no plans to sell Pinecast or stop running Pinecast um, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, it, w- there will come a time when I don't want to do this anymore um, for any number of reasons. Um, it could just be, I'm too busy. It could be that, you know, I'm, starting a family, I'm moving, whatever. And I've always promised my customers that if that were the case, there would be some sort of grace period where there wouldn't be any cost to them, um, where the business would, you know, effectively transition over. Um, I know a lot of other folks in the space, um, as far as like executives at other podcast hosting companies. And I would definitely work to make sure that everybody's podcast found a home. Um, So that's definitely not something to worry about. I'm not just gonna up and disappear. Other podcast hosts, in some ways, are, are, are like zombies. There's a handful who I won't mention that uh, just don't respond to customer support. You know, uh, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Uh, that's not what I want to become. Um, I, I would feel really ashamed if that was the legacy. There's always a risk with any podcast hosting company, um, you know, even the largest ones like Libsyn, things can and do go wrong. Um, in the time that I've been running Pinecast, there are horror stories of people ending up losing all of their subscribers because they've made what seems like a trivial mistake, but ultimately it it costs them their entire listenership. One really common error is folks will cancel their existing podcast hosting subscription when moving between hosts. And they don't realize that by doing that, they also remove the feed redirect. And so anybody that hasn't seen their feed redirect is trapped on their old host who has effectively deleted their podcast permanently. And so... (laughs) You know, there's always a risk. The issues that you might encounter through going with a smaller host are not nearly as as large as some people might imagine.
0: Accessibility is very good with Pinecast. And obviously for me and people who listen to this podcast, that is a a huge factor. If it's not accessible, most of the people listening to this interview aren't going to be able to use it. Is that something that you were conscious of when you designed it? Or are you just doing good practice? And so accessibility kind of fell out?
1: It's a little bit of both. Uh, my first proper full-time job was at Mozilla and I was doing front-end work for them and everything has to be accessible. Um, you know, Mozilla is designing for sort of the least common denominator. So everything has to be built with best practices in mind. Um, so you, you definitely get into the habit of, doing work like that of building things, quote unquote, the right way. But also it's perhaps some pedantry on my part to have a much deeper appreciation for doing things right the first time rather than rushing to build an MVP like other folks might do, and then having to revisit it later to fix issues or you know clean things up or make it accessible or make it localized or what have you. After Mozilla, I was at Box building enterprise software, which is this world of hurt when it comes to best practices. And a big part of my work there was driving the organization towards best practices, localizing things correctly, making things accessible. And now uh, in my current role at Stripe, building user interfaces that work for not just our customers, but our customers' customers. So this, this network effect of... Building things that are used by an exponentially increasing number of people. And if it's not accessible or if it's not localized properly or if it's not regionalized properly, you've simply failed. And so our customers rely on us at Stripe um, to build the best possible user interface and we just can't cut corners. So a lot of those values have definitely carried over into Pinecast. In fact, uh, pretty early on, uh, I had a user reach out to me who I, I don't believe he was fully blind, but he was legally blind. and he used a screen reader, I think about half the time. And he had some questions and concerns, and I was able to go in and make some quick adjustments. Uh, and so definitely having that feedback early on did help. It's sort of a point of pride for me to be able to serve customers that you know maybe got lost in the mix uh, with other hosts. And honestly, a lot of the things necessary to make a, a user interface accessible, or not just accessible, but like friendly uh, to to folks who either use a screen reader or rely on a keyboard instead of a mouse or folks who are colorblind or have other sort of vision impairments. It's not that hard. Uh, And there's really not a whole lot of effort involved in it, especially if you're building things in a scalable way. Sort of just like keeping your house clean. Like if you keep it in mind and you're actively maintaining it, uh, it's generally not that difficult.
0: One of the things that I really had to look for very carefully was the right pricing model for me. With Libsyn, where I've come from, I was quite regularly hitting the 400 megabyte limit, which is the $20 plan there because of the length of our episodes. We're very verbose here. (laughs) And uh, then, of course, you look at other podcast hosts and they're effectively penalizing you for being popular. And the more popular you are, the higher the price goes, essentially be punished for your success. So you have this model where really the only limitation is an 80 megabyte limit per episode with the surge pool. How did you come up with that model? And you're obviously confident in its sustainability.
1: Yeah, it was actually originally 64 megabytes with no surge. Um, and then maybe six months in, folks were complaining that 64 megabytes was too low. And I agree, <laughs> it was it was too low. Mm. Um, so I added the surge um, and that, Uh, basically brought the number of feature requests, support requests down to zero for quite a long time. But a lot of folks were being put off by the 64 megabyte limit. And so I crunched the numbers. 80 megabytes seemed like a a fair compromise. Uh, And so I bumped the limit up. It's interesting because I get you can't make everyone happy. (laughs) A lot of folks look at that and say, this is great. I can get my show started. I don't need to worry about running out of space. I don't need to worry about how many people are listening. Um, At the same time, you end up with folks, some podcasts about podcasting, uh, who sort of penalize Pinecast and say, it's not a sustainable business model. The largest users are eating up the cost of the smaller users. Frankly, I think that's sort of the wrong mindset. Um, You know, any service uh, that has non-metered pricing does this, right? Like when you go and buy insurance for something, uh, you know, the folks who are most risky take up most of the revenue versus the folks that are not risky. The model itself, the limit on episode size rather than storage or bandwidth uh, was very deliberate from the beginning. I was pricing it according to how I would want it to be priced for me. And it turns out that a lot of people feel the same way. My philosophy is you shouldn't have to pay more money because you got popular. And the underlying infrastructure of Pinecast is designed to scale in such a way that that becomes not just possible, but a very reasonable proposition. You know, behind the scenes, there's a number of different layers of caching and CDNs in place, making sure that the caching topology is correct so that we're not wasting bandwidth sending the same file to different parts of the world. You know, one of the things that we do is we actually move podcasts between CDNs to adjust for better pricing. Um, So it may be the case that a podcast is extremely popular. Um, There's one podcast that's based out of sort of Northern Europe that right now is sort of the most popular podcast podcast on Pinecast. And it makes a lot of sense for us to shift their traffic over to a CDN where the bandwidth is much cheaper for that part of Europe um, than it is to keep them on our main CDN. Just some clever tricks and working with these constraints and invariants in place has allowed Pinecast to work around the notion of total bandwidth or uh, the amount of bandwidth uh, that somebody is allocated or should be using.
0: Yeah, you've, you've really thought those things through. And that's what impressed me. For example, when I did the import on quite a large number of episodes with a pretty decent size per episode, I was astounded by how quick that import process was. Also, with setting up a new episode of a podcast, I kept thinking I must be missing a step. Because, <laughs> um, you know, with my previous host, you would have to define your show title twice to do it properly, once for Apple Podcasts and once for everybody else. And you're just working the magic. You know, you're making it clear, keep the episode number out of the title field. We will handle that. And then it's all just transparent. So it's those little things that just make for a very elegant experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've tried to refine a lot. The most common things that you interact with are the, the things that I spend the most time fiddling with and, uh, revising and and playing with, um, especially around the season and episode numbers. Um, it took me a few months to get that into production, uh, when Apple first announced it. And again, like we got dinged (laughs) pretty hard by some of the, the pundits, but A big part of it was doing it right. And even once we launched it, it was only for shows that took advantage of the new serial episode format that Apple was making available. And it took almost a year, uh, maybe a little bit longer to get it working for 100% of shows. The reason why is if we got it wrong, we were making everything objectively worse for every single user on Pinecast. You know, if it takes that extra five seconds to post an episode, you know, if you a hundred episodes in, you're talking about 500 seconds. You know that you've wasted just fiddling with this meaningless UI, versus me putting in the extra time and investment and saying, like, okay, well, you've got this back catalog of 250 episodes. Are you really going to click into 250 episodes and then update every title to be correct? No, I'm going to give you a tool that's intelligent and can help you most of the way, and then do the rest of it for you. Being very deliberate um, and and super rigorous about thinking through not just what features we have, but how people will use them is really like a core part of how I think about feature development at Pinecast.
0: And the fact that you're so approachable means that uh, obviously people can have some input. J- just to make sure this is not an infomercial, there are two things that I miss. So I'll, while I have you there, I'll, I'll do my Happy lobby. Happy to take your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one is that I process um, post-production or my podcasts through Orphonic, and Orphonic will allow you to upload via various methods such as FTP to a podcast host, um, which just cuts down the workflow some because you've got the file already up there and it just speeds it up. And I had that uh, whole workflow working pretty well. And similarly, the other thing as part of the publishing process is the publishing to social media, which I'm sure you must be getting a lot of feedback about, that I'd love the ability to automatically tweet my episode title and the link uh, and, and maybe post that to Facebook as well. Do you think those things might happen?
1: ophonic upload um, is something that we've gotten a lot of requests for. Publishing to social is surprisingly not a top feature request. Um, Interesting. Early, yeah, early on, um, there were a lot of folks that were asking about it. The biggest um, sort of like cross-service uh, posting request that uh, I see anyway, posting to SoundCloud and posting to YouTube. Yes. Which is sort of curious because like SoundCloud is like a different podcast host. (laughs) Um, So I'm not really sure what folks are are looking for there. Publishing on social is something I'm very interested in. It's sort of a tricky problem to do it well. Having just like a link to say, you know, click this button and then we'll pre-populate the the tweet field or the Facebook post field. That's easy. I could do that in 20 minutes and and have it live. I think the thing that is most striking though, is something like 70% of episodes that are uploaded to Pinecast are scheduled for the future. So without having a way of of delaying the post to the future, it's a little bit tricky. And then handling the error cases around that. That's really the biggest reason why publishing to social doesn't exist today on Pinecast is like getting that experience of making a post ready in the future, right? It's not a, a, a super simple problem. Ophonic upload though, a lot of folks have requested that. There is something sort of related, uh, which is going to happen that I can't really talk about. Um, But it does sort of lay the groundwork for a a feature which I refer to, as I say lovingly, I don't love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A a feature which I refer to as horizontal uploading. Um, So rather than uploading an episode directly through the, the uploader in the app, it's allowing you to upload the episode horizontally from a different service. A big request that folks have had is being able to import episodes from Dropbox or yes. import episodes from Google Drive. Very similar in nature to how a works. There is another service that we're looking to partner with, um, and they would like us to support sort of this publish from their service feature. And that infrastructure that would be required lays the groundwork for horizontal uploading. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, I would love to support Ophonic. If they were to reach out and want to do a partnership, I would jump at that. Uh, Definitely a great opportunity.
0: And there are ways around some of these things. So the YouTube thing is another kind of minor thing for me. I, to be honest, we never got a lot of hits from YouTube, but it was there. And I guess it's just another place to be. And given the low cost of Pinecast, there are services you can go with like Repurpose.io that are dedicated to doing things like YouTube, Facebook and SoundCloud for that matter.
1: Yeah. yeah th- and that's definitely been one of the big reasons why I haven't pushed too hard on the, the social publishing, um, you know, with something like IFT or Zapier, you can sort of roll your own pretty easily and get almost exactly what you're looking for. Um, there's so many automation tools these days. Uh, we integrate with Headliner, uh, which allows you to export um, a customized MP4 file that you can upload to YouTube. So there's, there's like alternatives that are probably better than what I could do in an early MVP. Yeah, it's interesting. YouTube... On its face, it sounds good. (laughs) Mm. Um, The tricky part about it uh, and something that I've sort of gone back and forth about is if folks are listening through YouTube, uh, you're not going to get analytics for it, right? Like unless I'm integrating with YouTube and then somehow either scraping the dashboard or pulling from some API. I don't believe they make analytics information available through their API. You wouldn't know it unless you logged into YouTube and looked at the analytics there. Um, And that to me seems a little bit more burdensome than most people want. There's also this like weird question about like what truly is a podcast. If you can't subscribe to it through an app that gets you the show automatically, then it doesn't really feel like a podcast. And I realize you can subscribe to things on YouTube, but I don't know if I would listen to a podcast on YouTube the same way I'd listen to a podcast on Pocket Casts or Mm you know, Spotify or something
0: like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a veteran of this, I completely agree with you. And it's really concerning to me that we see the arrival of platforms like Luminary and now Spotify is scooping up proprietary mm. content. To me, that is not podcasting. And I think it's really important that those of us who value the open standards of podcasting actually defend the word and say, you know, you you may be offering audio on demand or video on demand. That ain't podcasting.
1: Yeah, it's this weird sort of semantic tomfoolery, in a way. (laughs) Um, I've been in debates on Twitter about this, where folks say, well, I can listen to it on my phone, and that's what matters. And, you know, if that's what you value, then I can't argue with the notion that you call it podcasting in the same way that my mom calls every video game ever made a Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a tricky problem. I disagree with the idea that you can have platform-exclusive content. Yeah. Um, It feels bad. I I also recognize the fact that there isn't a good way of monetizing podcasts. Patreon tried to do it with sort of private RSS feeds, but it's really hard to get right. And it's really hard to do it in a way that offers a good experience. You know, if you are a patron of a show that uses Patreon to monetize content, you actually can't listen to that show on Spotify because Spotify won't let you subscribe to individual RSS feeds. A show has to be available through their directory. And arguably, even though it's using RSS behind the scenes and, you know, it's a directory and you're listening to the podcast as they've been produced by the podcast producer, the idea that there is a show that lives on that directory that I then can't subscribe to through my app of choice, be it Pocket Cast or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or what have you, that feels really bad. And if we go in this direction, it suddenly means I need to have a Spotify subscription. I need to have a Luminary subscription, an Apple Music subscription. And you know, at the end of the day, now you're paying $100, $150 to listen to the eight, nine podcasts that you care about. And are we really better off? Probably not.
0: It paves the way for fragmentation in the same way that uh, the streaming video on demand services have become so fragmented and people are paying for Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus. It all adds up. And when you do have to pay those um, prices for that sort of service, are you also going to pay for podcasts? How much discretionary income is there?
1: Yeah, and the the thing that's probably the most frustrating to me is that, you know, if you're paying, let's say, 10 bucks a month for Spotify, how much of that $10 is actually going towards the podcast? Probably only a few cents at the end of the day, right? Like, if I'm listening to a Gimlet podcast on Spotify, and it's Spotify exclusive... Of that $10, maybe only four or five cents actually goes to the Gimlet folks for the production of that show. The other $9 and so, and and, and however much, ends up going towards engineering, research and development, licensing, paying a bunch of lawyers, right? Like you're you're paying a multi-billion dollar company for the thing that you would essentially only need to pay a few cents for. It's really um, unfortunate. And, and on we, top of that, it still has ads.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't talked about the tip jar, which is a feature of Pinecast to help podcast creators in that regard.
1: Yeah, that was something that I, I built pretty early on. A lot of people had been asking, how do I monetize my show? And the short answer is, you don't really monetize podcasts. Like as much as folks want to be the next Joe Rogan or Mark Marin or Gimlet Media, as much as folks you know, want to be in that position to be able to make passive income off of their show, the odds of it's actually going to happen is extremely slim. I look at the top podcasts on Pinecast and the numbers that they command collectively add up to only a fraction of what the podcast and the iTunes top 100 actually make. And if you sit down and seriously consider the the dollars that you would get per episode it's very very slim early on a lot of folks were asking about advertising you know can you facilitate ads and the thing is i could but you know if you're comfortable receiving you know 30 cents per episode (laughs) it's really not worth either of our time the tip jar made a lot more sense because you're appealing to folks that already like your content And you say, you enjoy this, how much are you willing to pay to listen to an hour of content four times a month? You know, if you're paying somebody minimum wage or what should be minimum wage, you know, $15 times four hours, you know, you're looking at 60 bucks a month. Now folks don't necessarily need to pay 60 bucks a month, but you know, six bucks a month is a great number. (laughs) And if you get, you know, let's say a hundred people paying you six bucks a month, that's enough to, you know, either meaningfully supplement your income, or uh, you're able to grow your show, spend some money promoting your content, or do something else. The top Pinecast tip jar users are sort of making money in that range. And it's been interesting to watch folks transition from just starting out and you know posting their first episode to seeing more than $100 a month in passive income through the tip jar.
0: So Pinecast is definitely worth checking out. I'm very glad I made the switch. And I appreciate, as I mentioned in the review part of this, uh, the work that you did on the uh, accessibility of the different views of the stats, which has made a really (laughs) big difference. So I appreciate that. And people can head over to uh, pinecast.com and check it out. There is a free tier. I talked in the review about the pricing, but perhaps we can just talk briefly from your perspective about what it costs to work with Pinecast. And for those just getting started, you can try it. And actually, this is what I did. I set up a dummy podcast and just published an old episode to see how accessible it was. The uh, podcast wasn't listed anywhere, so it didn't go anywhere. It was just a way for me to use the free tier to assess how accessible it was and make a judgment that it was viable. So people can do all those things. But they can actually also, you know, if they're just getting into this, Work with Pinecast for some time on the free tier, which is quite generous.
1: Yeah, um, that was sort of a goal. You know, folks that just want to sort of kick the tires and see whether podcasting is for them. You're not doing an hour or super high quality audio. You can get in there, get started for free, try it out, see how it goes. And hopefully, you know, there's enough there that's compelling for you to want to upgrade. The only tier that we have besides the sort of demo tier is our $10 a month starter plan. I'm happy to give you a coupon for a free month. Um, There's referral codes that other folks have that offer you uh, 40% off for four months. Um, So definitely be on the lookout for those. And beyond that, one of the things that I've really strongly disagreed with is What you've mentioned earlier, this idea of a hosting company having like a $5 tier and a $7 tier and a $12 tier and a $15 tier and a $20 tier. And then you have to sort of pick and choose based on the feature that you need the most that costs the least. (laughs) And I'd never wanted to do that. Um, When Pinecast launched, it was a $5 plan and a $50 plan. And I've since gotten rid of the $50 plan. And all of those features are now offered a la carte as add-ons. And so you can add on more analytics features for $10 a month. You can add on features for growth and customizing your show and password protecting your podcast. Um, you can add on features for collaboration to invite other producers on so that you can enable access to other accounts and combine analytics together and get notifications. All sorts of really good stuff. Uh, an increase, uh, there's a, a an add-on to allow you to lift the 80 megabyte limit up to 256 megabytes. And there's more on the way. Uh, so... Uh, definitely check it out.
0: <laughs> I, I, absolutely. I look forward to finding out what's coming next. And thank you for giving us some time, pinecast.com. And I will publish my referral link because I have a interest in promoting my referral link. Um, and uh, I hope people check it out. It's a great way to get into podcasting and uh, the support is fantastic. So thank you for your time. I appreciate that.
1: Of course, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and especially on the uh, 30th anniversary of the ADA here Yeah, we
0: are actually recording that on the 26th. That's right. So it's a very yeah. timely um, time <laughs> to be recording. Yeah. And if you would like to try Pinecast, a reminder that you can use my affiliate link. That way you get two months free. So do I in the interests of full disclosure. So you help keep the Blind Podmaker podcast up and running. I'll include that referral code for you in the show notes. And if you'd like more assistance with starting or maintaining your podcast from a blindness perspective, then that's exactly what the Blind Podmaker Network is for. You can continue to listen to episodes from this podcast. You can join the Blind Podmaker Room on Clubhouse and enjoy our podcasters roundtable. Ask your questions, maybe be a featured speaker if you would like to do that. You can also join our email group. To do that, send a blank email to creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. That's creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. And we'll see you soon for another episode of the Blind Podmaker podcast.